How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Welcome to Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. This podcast exists to help every couple succeed in marriage. And today, Karen, we're talking about inhibitors to intimacy in marriage. The things that, you know, intimacy is the prize. That's what we want. Uh, But there are things that happen in our marriage that keep us from being intimate. So we're going to go to the teaching that I'm doing here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, we're going to answer some questions from you guys, some of our viewers. And I'm going to read this one to you, first of all. Um, it says, it feels like my husband has lost interest in me and our marriage. We're acting more like roommates at this point in our lives. Is there anything I can do to get his attention? That's a good question. Well, besides walking into the room completely naked. No, <laughs> well, that gets attention. That's a good <laughs> yes. idea. But, you know, I think probably I would start with communication, you know, because that's one of the hardest things in a marriage is good communication. Yeah. And if your communication is not good, if you're not talking about how you're feeling if you're not talking about the needs that you have and right. you know and so i would suggest just sitting down and having just a normal conversation of like you do, you and i do we say all the time is there anything i can do to improve is there something yeah. that i'm not doing is are you okay you know and you know just have those important questions of how do you think we're doing right now in our marriage well they're obviously not okay no i mean you know if, if he's ignoring her basically mm-hmm. they're, he's not okay he could be distracted he could be offended you know, he could be tempted. He could be, maybe he has an offense. Maybe he's not, he hasn't forgiven for something. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I think talking and just face-to-face talking. The other thing, Karen, that we talk about is redemptive love. And, and that just simply means when your spouse is doing the wrong thing mm-hmm. for you to pursue them anyway. Mm-hmm. And so you, when, when one spouse kind of goes into their corner and the other spouse goes into their corner, no one fights for the marriage. Mm-hmm. And so what, one of the things you did early in our marriage when we had a bad marriage is you you pursued me. Mm-hmm. You you pursued me when I didn't deserve to be pursued. Mm-hmm. And that really, uh, it, it got us off the, the, the hump, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that's, that's a good idea. I think you have a question for me there. Yes. My wife and I have a good marriage, but we handle things in different ways. How can we fix our differences and get on the same page? Well, you're always going to be different. I don't, you know, I, th- I think that the expectation of not, we're, we're different. We've been mm-hmm. married almost 48 years. Mm-hmm. We're just different. Um, I think the main thing is you, you have, have a good marriage, but you handle things in different ways. Well, you're much more emotional than me. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm not as emotional. Mm-hmm. So I just deal with things in a matter of fact way. You're more emotional. Okay. And so, I don't think that's going to change. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there'll ever be a day in our marriage where you're, I mean, it, it, so you learn to, you learn to respect each other. You you learn to deal with your differences mm-hmm. in a, in a good way. What do you think? No, I think it's perfect. I think that, you know, first of all, it's not wrong to be different. Like no, you were saying. That's right. And so I think they need to respect that they're both bringing something to the table. That's just as important. That's right. You know, whether they're, it's different or not, it's like they're, they're, they're a team. And so what they're doing is is yeah. making their marriage 
special, I think, anyway. Well, I, just, I think the expectation that uh, we're going to be married this, this amount of time and we're going to be the same is a wrong expectation. I think you're going to be married for this length of time, and if you're successful, you learn to respect each other's differences. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the, when we first got married, I didn't know. I just don't. I didn't know anything about women, <laughs> and I just thought you were strange. But you're a normal woman, mm-hmm. and so you're still as different today as you were then. But the difference is, I respect it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, if you say you have a good marriage, that's that's the big deal right there. Mm-hmm. And to keep your marriage good, I just think you, you just. Learn to respect each other's differences. Some of your differences can kind of come together, you know, mm-hmm. but most of most of our differences are inherent. They're just our personalities, our giftings, our perspectives, being men and women, you know, being the opposite sex, and you just have to learn to 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 deal with it. And the other thing is to have a good marriage, you have to meet needs that you don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to come into your spouse's world, and there'll never be a day. When you wake up and you both have the same needs, mm-hmm. you know, some of your needs may be the same, but most of your needs are not the same. Yeah. So anyway, we, we hope that that helps. Good. We're going to go into this teaching on inhibitors of intimacy. We hope you enjoy it. The more morally depraved a society becomes, the more outwardly focused they have to become because they don't have anything to go to inwardly. And so in our society, because we have become a very morally depraved society, the more that happens, the more we focus on the outside rather than the inside, believing if everything on the outside is right, I'm going to experience everything I'm looking for. It's exactly the opposite. If everything on the inside is right, I'm going to experience what I want. And so you're going to hear me in this message talk about the issue of inhibitors, but you're also going to hear me talk about ethics. Every time I mention an inhibitor of intimacy, I'm going to talk about an ethic of intimacy. Because ethics, the word ethic means a system of principles governing morality and acceptable conduct. In other words, when Karen and I act in our marriage, it's based on the the ethic of our marriage. There's just an ethos in your marriage, whether you realize it or not, that allows and disallows, that causes certain things to happen and keeps certain things from happening. So when Karen and I got married, we had no intimacy. I mean, we had sex, but we had no intimacy. Again, because it wasn't going to happen from the outside in the way I thought it was going to. It was going to happen from the inside out. When we began to change on the inside, when God began to change us on the inside, that is when we began to experience the, the intimacy that we have today. Now, number one inhibitor of intimacy is lack of spiritual dependence. And and another way to say that is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations set us up for failure in marriage. In Marriage on the Rock, uh, there are several sessions in that, but especially the most important issue in marriage. If you want to go deeper in this point, it's in Marriage on the Rock. Okay, two very common expectations that people have when they get married is this, you're going to make me happy and you're going to meet my needs. Okay. And so we get married and we think, I'm going to get married and you're going to make me happy and you're going to meet my needs. Well, the first is, is this, your spouse cannot meet your deepest needs. Okay. You're, you have four needs in your life that only God can meet. Acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. And God meeting those needs in you is the basis of your happiness. I love Karen, and I'm so happy with Karen, but I could be happy without Karen. Karen loves me, and she's happy with me, but she could be happy without me because of Jesus. 
And if, if we say to another person, you're my life and I can't live without you, that is a codependent statement. And, and I love Karen. I don't want to live without Karen. But the point is, Jesus makes me happy, not other people. And if, if your happiness depends on people, then, then you're literally just at the, at the whim of how people are acting that particular day. Let me say this. In the midst of people who aren't doing what I want them to do, I can still be happy because of Jesus. Acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. He accepts me for who I am. I don't have to have whiter teeth and fresher breath or six-pack abs. You know, I have washboard abs. I just have a load of towels in right now. I go. <laughs> They're so precious to me, I cover them with padding. And, but Jesus accepts me for who I am right now. So acceptance, identity. I, he made me in my mother's womb, and he knows my real name. Your real name you get when you go to heaven. You'll get a white stone with your real name on it. Because the name you have right now is not your real name. When God made you in your mother's womb, he gave you a name that nobody else has. And part of the beauty of knowing God is he knows who you really are. He knows why. He, no person can tell you who you are. Only God can tell you who you are. So your sense of identity has to come from God if you're going to be whole and really live your life correctly. Security. Only God can make us truly secure. No army can make us truly secure. No medicine can make us truly secure. No weapon can make us truly secure. But the Spirit of God can make us truly secure. And purpose. I have a higher purpose for life than making a buck and spending it. I have a higher purpose of life than just going through another 24 hours of biological processes. I live for a king and a kingdom. And when I wake up every day, I do something that makes an eternal difference in people's lives. That's the purpose of my life. Acceptance, identity, security, and purpose. Only God can meet those needs. And it's called the principle of transference. If I don't depend on God to meet those needs, I automatically transfer the expectation of that to my spouse. Jesus came to a woman at the well of Samaria. And water, there, he was using water as the backdrop of having a conversation with her as a marriage counselor. She'd had five marriages that failed. And she wasn't being honest with it, but Jesus about it. He said, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. She, he said, I know you've had five, and the one you live with now is not your husband. She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. You know, there, in the Bible, there ought to be a little duh right at the end of that sentence. You know, <laughs> duh. And so, lady, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the gift of God, I'd give you a drink. You'd never be thirsty again. She was trying to get her soul needs met from a man. And when the men in her life could not water her soul and make her feel full and satisfied, she thought there was something wrong with them. And she went through five husbands. Now she was living with a guy. And Jesus walked up to this woman and said, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the gift of God, because it's free to any person. When we need God the most, we deserve him the least. We're a mess when we need him the most, right? So this woman's a mess five-time loser in marriage. Jesus loves her. He knows the root issue of her life. And he walks up and says, lady, if you would just ask me to fill your heart, I would, and you'd never be thirsty again. And out of that fullness, you're happy. And out of that fullness, you love other people. And you become a functional person. The ethic that fixes this is faith in God. When Karen and I got married, we, we were fledgling Christians, but we were squeezing each other trying to get God out, and it was so frustrating. And I remember just feeling like, why, why can't she build up my ego more? 
Why, why can't she praise me more? Why, why didn't she make me feel like somebody? Why didn't she just, and she was thinking the same thing about me, and literally we were trying to squeeze God out of each other and killing each other in the process. And when I say that we wake up in the morning and go to other, the different sides of the house and have our quiet time, that's where the Lord fills us up, and out of that we love each other, and out of that we're happy. Codependency means I'm depending on you in an unhealthy way. I'm putting expectations on you that you can't meet. There are needs in your life that your spouse can meet, but your God needs they, they can't meet. And so faith in God is an ethic in this marriage. Listen, I depend on God to meet my deepest needs, and I depend on God to solve my biggest problems. And I'm not going to put that expectation on you. I have, my God is a big God, and I'm going to put faith in him. Compatibility in marriage is, is based on core values more than anything else, character and core values, but we're very different. If you're very, very compatible with your spouse, you're, you're very different people. When Karen and I got married, I just thought she's so weird because she's not like me. And we, we got in all these fights because we rejected each other's differences. You have different love needs. The men need, uh, the four major needs of a man, honor is number one, sex. Number two, friendship with his wife, wants to be buddies and domestic support. Women are not at all like that. Not that they don't have any of those needs. Number one need of a woman is security. Number two is open and honest communication. Number three is soft, non-sexual affection. And number four is leadership, not being dominated. They want their husband to be the initiator of the well-being of the home. All four of our major needs are different. When you tell me, I need you to do this. This is, this is what I need you to do. I need you to do this. I'm going to believe you. See, for years, Karen, here's what I tell people when they come to see me for counseling. Your spouse has been trying to tell you for years what their needs are. You just haven't listened. Because we have this idea that if we marry our soulmate, they're just like us. We, you know, everything's just alike. That's not true. If you marry your perfect soulmate, you're very different people. You're not alike. And so you have to listen, and I'm going to respect you with my mouth, but I'm going to respect you with my mind. And when you're talking and my eyes begin to cross and I'm thinking, how in the world could anyone be this way? Rather than judging you and rejecting you, I'm going to believe you. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. It only works in first place in real terms. It has to come before your children. Your children are precious. Your marriage has to come before your children. It has to come before your work. It has to come before your friends. It has to come before anything else. Our marriage was healed when I hung my golf clubs up. And I stopped playing golf and I made my marriage first again. And so marriage has to be first. And there are two ways that we get distracted. One is the stresses of life. Okay, the stresses means children, work, busyness, things like that. And that's why traditions and disciplines are critical in our marriage because it's not what you can make happen, it's what you can keep happening. Do you have a date night every week? Do you have time alone? Do you have time to talk every day? Do, do you have disciplines and traditions that keep the right things happening? And they're inviolable. No one's getting this time. 
No one's getting this time. No one's getting this energy. My spouse deserves the best of my life, of my time, energy, everything in my life. And so I'm going to protect this for you. The stresses that come on us can cause us to become distracted. It's, and you can't be intimate with a person who's not paying attention. And they're, and they're not focused. Okay, But the other one, the other type of distraction is me turning my heart away in response to frustration. Or pain. And this is the most dangerous one. Hebrews 13 says, Marriage is honorable among, among, among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the context here is being frustrated with your spouse and beginning to covet other people's spouses and other, other people. But by the way, when the Bible tells us not to covet, uh, in the Old Testament, it says, don't cover your, covet your neighbor's wife. Coveting, coveting is, is referenced to people. And what, the, what God is saying here is, you may get frustrated with your spouse. I get frustrated with you. Your spouse may be imperfect. You're imperfect. But I've said to you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never physically leave you, and I'll never turn your, my heart away. God has promised all of us, in spite of all of our issues, he will never turn his heart away from us. There'll never be a moment in your eternity that God will ever stop paying attention to you and caring about you. Is that good news, anybody? And, and, okay. So, affairs happen when you turn your heart away. Affairs begin on the inside. Karen and I were on Dennis Rainey's radio program um, years ago, and Dennis was interviewing us. Um, and he was talking about the early days of our relationship. And Dennis said to Karen, um, when Jimmy was being such a jerk earlier in your marriage, were you ever tempted to have an affair? And, uh, and I was interested in the answer. I mean, I'd never, you know, I thought, well, okay, sister, get honest here. And uh, here's what Karen said. I wouldn't let my heart go there. And this is truth. And because of that, she was fighting for our marriage when I was being a jerk. The most, see, the most important thing in the ethic here is faithfulness. Not just on the outside, on the inside. I'm, I am going to be faithful to you, and when I'm frustrated at you, and when I'm angry, and when things are going bad, I'm not going to turn my heart away to my friends, I'm not going to turn my heart away to sports. I'm not going to turn my heart away to the children. I'm not going to turn my heart away to, to anything else, not another person. In the worst days of our marriage, I'll keep my heart focused on you. Number two, inhibitor of intimacy is unresolved conflict. Big, big, big deal is not being able to deal with your issues. Ephesians 4, be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Intimacy is an act of goodwill. Intimacy, the, the fact that you're being able to be intimate means that you're, you've dealt with the issues in your relationship. And here's the four points of Ephesians 4 related to anger. Number one, don't deny your anger. God gets angry. There's nothing wrong with being angry. The second thing it says is don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't hit, don't yell, don't cuss, don't, don't do, and then tell your spouse, well, you made me mad. And that's the reason I did that. You, go ahead and be angry. There's nothing wrong with anger. I mean, we all get angry but just don't sin. Don't justify bad behavior. The third thing it says is don't go to bed on that anger. Process it today. Today's anger is very manageable. Today's anger is there's nothing wrong with today's anger. Yesterday's anger is very dangerous anger. 
because now it's, it's being fermented. It's toxic because here's the fourth thing it says. Don't give the devil an opportunity. And the word devil there is the word diabolos. It means slander. When you go to bed on anger, the devil will interpret your spouse to you and slander him in the process. You know, you're laying back to back, not breathing because you don't want to give your spouse the benefit that you're alive. And, 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 and all these thoughts are going through your head. You just had a fight and all these thoughts are going through your head and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and all, this thing begins to play out in your mind. So you go, you go to bed on that often enough and you wake up. Say, here's what I want to say this another way. If you are in the habit of going to bed on your anger, you have been counseled by the devil and you don't even know it. I promise. Be angry. Don't sin. Don't go to bed on your anger. You'll give a foothold to Diabolos. And Diabolos will get in there and convince you that you married the wrong person, that this person will never be right for you, that your soulmate is out there waiting for you, and you, you just you know, married the wrong person. All those things are true. And so the, the ethic of unresolved conflict is honesty is an atmosphere of honesty where you give each other the right to complain. See, when, when people come in for marriage counseling, a lot of times what we hear is, I could never say this to them. They would go ballistic. I mean, when I was just really messed up as a young man, I remember coming to Karen and I thought, Karen's my best friend and I'm gonna tell her that I'm struggling in this area. And I remember coming to Karen and, and saying to her, I just want you to know this and this and this. And Karen never went, oh, you, oh, that's just awful. Shame on you. And, oh, don't you ever tell me anything like that again. You're sick. And uh, <laughs> I would come to Karen, and I would, you know, confess something to her or share something with her and things like that. And she'd say, okay, thank you for being honest with me. And, and then we would talk. And because she was so approachable and she didn't shame me and react to me, I felt safe around Karen. And so an atmosphere of honesty just says, please tell me. And, and I, even if I don't agree, I'll, I'll respect you and I'll listen. And when you make a decision, the, the, the ethic of honesty says we're not going to hide stuff. And we're not going to make each other pay a price for being honest. We're going to have an honest relationship here. Everything good happens in the light. Everything bad happens in the darkness. And if you don't let your spouse be honest, it doesn't mean there aren't problems. It just means you'll never know about them. The, the worst marriage in the, in the world is two selfish people in a marriage. The greatest marriage is two servants in love. And I'm not happy till you're happy. And here's the, here's the kingpin question in marriage. Are you okay? Are you okay? An honest question to your spouse that says, are you okay? And I would have never asked Karen that question early in our marriage because she would have answered it. <laughs> And I was terrified of, I asked her that question regularly. She asked me. I said, are you okay? And here's what that means. If you're not, I'll, I'll crawl through cut glass to make you okay. Because the number one thing I do in life is serve Jesus. The second thing I do in life is serve you. I, I want you to know You were made to love. God is such an intimate God. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one with him and be one with each other, one. 
It's such a profound intimacy that we were born to have, that we were created to have, that the word for it is one. Indistinguishable from one another. We're so integrated into each other in a healthy way. You were created by love to love. You were created by one to be one. That's who you are. And all that we experience in life, all of our ignorance and all of our hurts that stand against that, thank God those things are on the outside, not the inside. But what's inside is God. And when you look at these issues and you go through these issues, and you're just honest, sit down and talk about them, pray about them. Things don't happen instantly, but the process begins instantly. You can make it in marriage. You have a 100% chance of success in marriage. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events. 